You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, first off, everybody, hey, how you doing? Um, obviously, just going to continue to take this through here. And like we said, we were going to get to a point here where we had some flexibility and we were really able to have a little more fun with the show, which we're going to do here this evening. Um, you know, some of you guys, you know, as me and Pete, banter on some just stupid stuff here from time to time. Um, yeah, it's great. And we're going to be able to get to do that. And we kind of have this lull here. And there's people we've wanted to talk to. Because, look, it's going to be real quick before we get back to the structure of the season, you know, which kind of holds us back a little bit as to what we can and cannot do, obviously, you know, because everybody's going to want their, you know, day in, day in content of, you know, game weeks, etc. But we're going to get all that today. Uh, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound brought to you tonight uh, by the fine folks of Hotels.com. Uh, look, guys, uh, you know, social media, whatever, people are way here, they're, they're way there. Look, use Hotels.com. Get rewarded. Make your own trips. Make your own memories. Use Hotels.com. Get rewarded everywhere go ahead make some plans be there do that uh the fine folks at himalaya um if you're looking for a different podcasting app they allow you flexibility where you can take a podcast episode by episode and given your input whether it's a rating or a comment you don't really get that in itunes or other places um and as you you subscribe to podcasts on their app they find what you like and they start suggesting things that maybe you would be interested in i always tell you it's kind of a little bit like tivo so check out himalaya whether it's google whether it's apple and make sure you subscribe to Locked On Browns over there. Uh, Pete Smith in here this evening, and um, obviously, you know, all you Browns fans, if you don't know her, I'm sorry, you should. Uh, at Browns underscore babe. Um, Nicole, I guess what we'll save you your last name here. Um, but first things first, uh, you know, Pete, obviously, but uh, Nicole, we're glad to have you here, and I can tell just from the 30 seconds before we hit the record button here, we should have ourselves a good time here. <laughs> Hi, I'm so excited that you guys asked me to join you tonight. We're glad to have you, and uh, you know, and guys, if nobody knows what I, I'm getting to within 30 seconds, she had already called Pete an ass, so we're off and running. Um, uh, Pete, I guess I'll let you kick it off here. Um, it's it's probably a lot better to do this episode with a good Browns product to talk about than a bad one. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly it's more fun to talk about you know, the potential for a great team as opposed to what they've been dealing with or, you know, looking so far ahead to say that, well, if the Browns get through this season and then A, B, and C happen, we'll be fine as opposed to now we're talking about, you know, I can't wait to get to week one or I can't wait to see what, you know, player X and Y do uh, in training camp, like that type of stuff is certainly more fun. And there was certain elements of that, but I mean, like, you know, a couple of years ago, it was, man, this is going to be a bumpy ride. Just watch miles Garrett. He's going to be really fun. Uh, just don't look at the score. Nicole. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited for this season, but I also, I don't know. I don't know if it's like being a Browns fan for uh, as long as I've been one, but I think I also have a tendency to kind of like sit in the same camp with Freddie Kitchens where I'm like, you know, they haven't played a game yet. So, you know, based on what they did at the end of last season and based on the talent that they brought in during the off season, you know, it's not that I'm not excited and it's not that I don't have any expectations. I do, but I also just, you know, want to wait and see what happens. 
I there think... have been plenty of teams that we have thought were going to come in and be dominant in any given season. You know, you look at the Jags last year, and then they don't – it doesn't happen. And, I don't. yeah, I don't know if it's just, like, being a, a pessimist because I'm a Browns fan or if I'm just hedging because I'm a lawyer, but I just <laughs> want to wait and, and see them take the field. I think part of it also, though, is the and what's gone on, and this may be with the moves they made this offseason, if you were really optimistic after last year, and now what went on, whether it was Odell, Richardson, Verdon, and, and you know, even the, the player that Kareem Hunt is, it's almost like, well, this is almost a little bit too good to be true. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when your parents always promised you, you know, my parents, hey, we'll give you a brand new car if you get straight A's in high school. My father laughed all the way. You know, it was he went five, he went five for six for not having to buy the brand new car until my little sister was a stinking genius, got the brand new car because he knew it was never going to happen. So this is almost the thing now. It's like it's almost too good to be true. And you know, for obviously for you guys who have been following this team forever, and me just in the time being here, it's well, well, where's going to be the issue? You know, I mean, what's gonna what's gonna happen Cleveland wise? that's going to screw this up. And that's probably what gives you some hesitation of, yeah, this looks really, really great, but but, but there's going to be something that goes wrong here. I guess. I mean, the thing that scares me is injuries. I mean, that's – and that's anyone. That's any team in the league. That's – you're just a Texans fan. You're looking at Deshaun Watson. You're going, please don't let his leg, you know, snap again. Or you're Andrew Luck and you're sitting there preying on his shoulder uh, and sacrificing small animals to make sure that, you know, your franchise quarterback stays healthy. We should have got the live chicken. <laughs> other, other than that, you know, I'm not worried so much about, you know, is, is, is player A really that good? It's like, I, I even if you say, well, Baker Mayfield's going to have a sophomore slump. I don't know what that looks like, but because of the things they've done to sort of insulate themselves, like Baker Mayfield doesn't have to be a superstar every week because they have things like Nick Chubb. They have a guy like Odell Beckham. They have a defense that looks like it can win a couple games on its own that you're sort of safeguarded. Uh, so when, once you get past that, uh, certainly you could have things happen where Denzel Ward is not as great as he was as a rookie because he was so good. But, you know, Miles Garrett's going to be great. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to be at least functional, which is, uh, you know, better than they've had for a couple decades. You know, Nick Chubb is going to be at least a functional player. You, those type of things where I think, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I think playoffs is a reasonable, even if you're cautious, expectation given what they've done. You know, they won seven, they went seven eight and one last year. And that was with the Hugh tax and a giant weight on them for the first half of the season. So I, I feel like just having that weight taken off of them will at least get them into that neighborhood. Pete and people say you're negative. Look <laughs> at you being such an optimist. This is what I, this is what I deal with. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you make me, you make me feel better. Sometimes I think I need that reassurance. Um, I agree with you that injuries, I mean, realistically should be one of the only things that keep them from performing at the level that 
most people are expecting them to. So, I mean, and it's very easy once you start talking about individual players and the talent and everything to get really, really excited. And I am excited. I just, I don't know what it is about having kind of that little, like, I don't know, like sneaky, lurky feeling of dread. It's probably just like, I don't know. It's pregnancy uh, guess. Oh, <laughs> there's an element of or it I'm that just, you, or I'm you are world of proof. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, part, and part of it with the injury thing, though, is because they were actually so fortunate with it last year, and and that's one thing that you know a lot of people like. And it's weird. Well, you know, well, 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 why would you assume this? Well, it, you usually don't get the 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 health roll of the dice to roll two years in a row your way. Um, let's get to this one uh, now, Nicole. I I think you guys were were still out in Colorado. What was that Saturday night like? Um, if you guys don't know, Nicole's husband um, is a Denver Broncos fan, and obviously now they've relocated. Obviously now back to the mothership. What was that like? And because for you, I mean, uh, you know, obviously probably throughout that relationship, uh, you've taken a lot of football L's. I'm assuming that had to be a good night. That was an awesome night. Um, my no one in my husband's extended family would watch the game with us. Um, and I think that's because, you know, getting towards the end of the season, they were all pretty depressed in Denver. Um, much differently than Brown fans, Denver fans, even when it's completely unrealistic, have a tendency to go into the season thinking they're going to win a Super Bowl, like no matter what. Um, they go into every single game thinking that they're going to win no matter what. Um, sunsets in Colorado are often orange and blue, and they say it's because God loves the Broncos. And I've seen enough ridiculous things happen during Broncos games to turn the games in their favor at the end that it's it's a really hard like premise to argue with. Um, but that game, no one wanted to watch with us because I think they knew, they knew that they were going to lose. Um, and so my poor husband had to take the brunt of me jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and uh, going, did you see that? Did you see that? And then, like, during breaks, making him rewatch <laughs> horrible, horrible things over, well, wonderful things to me, but horrible things to him, uh, like that pepper sack, like, over and over again. So um, at the end of the game. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good night. Good night for me. Peter. I also spent all of last season running around my house singing "My quarterback is better than yours" and laughing, um, which I also don't think that he appreciated. So. Well, you can continue to sing that for another calendar year, at least. At least. Look, I mean, we had to deal with. You know, uh, I'm old enough to have been around for the end of John Elway kicking our ass, uh, but thankfully, John Elway has now. Uh, come full circle and decided to help the Browns and every other team in the league by running the Broncos and picking quarterbacks. And for the time being, anyway, it feels relatively safe uh, to sit there and expect the Browns to beat the the Broncos. Unfortunately, I, I, I still don't understand how the Browns have to go back to Denver for two years in a row. Uh, and I don't trust going to that game. Uh, for that, you know, they're they're just an obnoxious team at home, but they are better, and I and I hope the Browns are able to win. But because that has been for decades, has been a funeral parlor of a stadium for them, where they would go to Denver and just 
bad things would happen. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people of a certain age that, that last year was a big deal because they did win in Denver. And the, fa- the, the way they won in Denver felt like they were exercising some demons from that standpoint. And now, you know, I, I, I think it's bullshit. I think it should be in Cleveland. But having said that, if they can do it twice in, the, twice in a row, uh, that would be, you know, very big from a Browns fan ego slash, um, you know, mental health well-being st- standpoint. Yeah, I agree. I, I would be pumped if we went back and, and did it a second time. And I think we should be able to do that, despite the fact that Mile High is a really hard place to play for a lot of reasons. Um, and the fact that I actually think the Broncos roster got a little better this offseason. Um, but no, I still don't think it's anywhere near as good as ours. So, you know, I have a lot of faith that uh, that we should be able to to pull that off this year. I think most of my optimism this year is funny comes from a place where I actually think a lot of other people are uh, most, uh, I don't want to say nervous, but just kind of waiting to see. And that's with uh, Freddie Kitchens. I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. He's never been a head coach before. The jury's, the jury's out. And I mean, in the end, that's valid. But every single time that man opens his mouth, I feel here we're on totally in control of the situation. So that's actually one of the areas where, you know, if I have to count on him to walk into Mile High with a good game plan for his players in that environment, I trust I trust that. Okay, so there's a couple of things. First, um, you compare uh, whether you like Freddie Kitchens or not, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. If you compare the demand they had for getting assistant coaches on this staff compared to last year where it seemed like Hugh Jackson had to beg people to work for him. Um, that's just an enormous difference. You have uh, Steve Wilkes and Todd Munkin, where Freddie Kitchens is you know, getting to pick the best of the best candidates, which has not happened since uh, maybe you can make a case for 2000. I would say it goes back to Belichick uh, when he had, you know, Nick Saban, all those guys. That's a big difference. But uh, Jeff Schwartz, uh, you know, does a lot of things. He, he writes for SB Nation. He's been talking about how he's very uh, uncertain about Freddie Kitchens and the challenges he faces. And he finally put, you know, pen to paper on that and wrote an article about it. And he talks about how Freddie Kitchens doesn't have any experience. And I'm going to push back a little bit. And the reason I do that is because uh, so many people are looking at this from the standpoint of uh, Kitchens hasn't been a coordinator all that much, but he's been an assistant head coach a lot. And in terms of that part of like the management and scheduling your day and taking care of all those, you know, the bullshit tasks that just have to get done so you can actually go do football stuff. He has a lot of experience in that. And I think you see that in the way he does handle press conferences and those things. And I, and I, and I think people are making a big mistake by discounting what it actually means to be an assistant head coach at any level that you are exposed to a lot of those things, because, you know, if you have that sort of head Lieutenant guy or a guy you're bouncing things off of that, that consigliere type guy, that is often 
the assistant head coach. It's not always that way, but that is often the case. So I think you're exposed to a lot more than you think you are. And he's been a coaching lifer from that standpoint that's been in the league for, you know, basically the second he got out of college. Um, so I, I, I understand there, there's real reasons where you can say, well, you know, he's a, he's a first time head coach, even though he had that eight game lead in, there's all these things you can sort of point to and go, well, he's a brand new head coach, but I, I don't think he's nearly as green as people want to believe it is. And I think it, you're seeing sort of taste of that and how he's handled things so far. But I, I think even from a, just a looking at the resume and the places he's been and the things he's done, I think he's got a little more there than people think he does. I don't disagree with you there, Pete. And the thing is, and you look at the way the offense just literally hummed once he took over as the play caller. And I'm sure at first it was a lot like, well, wow, it's, you know, and even for these guys, you know, I, I you know, Baker probably didn't have a much of a relationship with Freddie. It was like, all right, well, here's our guy. And, oh, man, you know, I, you know, I, I came from Oklahoma and the coaching there to this. And then all of a sudden they put up a ton of points. And the other thing is, is there were two head coaches. There was Haley. These guys were both head coaches in this league, and they could not get this offense to do what everybody, you know, the country bumpkin, so to speak, was able to get them to do. And it just kind of, it lit. And and the other thing is, is if you're in with Baker, then you're in with everybody. And that's what makes it work. And, you know, I, I think, I guess it was the, the final home game against Cincinnati, you know, where they're busting each other's chops and, you know, Freddie walks away and Baker, ah, he's an idiot. And he, he was just like, that's it. If he buys in, everybody else better buy in because we're all betting on six as it is. Nicole? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think Baker's support of Freddie probably helped a lot, but I <clears throat> I guess I just I get the impression that he just comes across as an incredibly authentic person. And so when you see the way the players react to him, their reactions also then appear to be incredibly authentic. You know, like, I don't think Freddie had to walk into a room and schedule a meeting with Baker and ask him to, like, be his guy so that he could, like, get the rest of the team on board because Baker was bought in. And you could definitely see some coaches maybe thinking that that was the way to go. I just... Everything about the way that he operates to me just seems incredibly authentic. And so I think it's just so easy for someone to buy in because you don't ever feel like, oh, there's an ulterior motive. You know, whether you're a coach and it's he's trying to, like, tamp down my ideas or you're a player and he's just trying to mess with my emotions to get me to, you know, you know, run more yards this week or block better this week or whatever, or, you know, really, to be honest, from my perspective, like whether you're a fan and and I don't ever feel like he is bullshitting us ever. The funny thing is, is that I feel like he says more um, and is more honest and forthcoming in his press conferences and yet creates less controversy by saying more. And it's because, it's not, 
you know, it's not BS. It's, it's true. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's able to get the guys very, very quickly um, to do what he wants them to do. And because he was able to do that in the middle last of last year with such a crazy transition happening, I don't, I'm not really worried about him when he has an entire offseason and really extra offseason time because he's a new coach to, to prep going into this year. Uh, yeah, there was. There was. Let me do this and get to the end. I, I don't think there was anything cryptic to it um, with him. And obviously, this is what these guys had all dealt with in the building. And I think he looked at Baker and said, "Here's what we're going to do. I don't care what the two dopes here before it. You can throw the living hell out of the ball, son. And this is what we're going to do. Um, and you know, and and this is one. And, and you know, and everybody likes to you know pick on Pete and I. We never take L's. Bashard Perriman was the biggest L ever. We were like, what in the world are you doing? And obviously going back to that Denver game, big play there. And it was – Baker, he can just – you can take Baker and four guys who kind of know what they're doing, and there's going to be a way some yards and some points are going to be put up. And I think Freddie was just like, what What are we doing here? There's mind games. There's BS. We're not sticking to the simplest thing, which is this kid can get it done, and he can make passes. He can complete a lot of passes. So let's just do that. And I think he went to the you know, basically the KISS approach of keep it simple, stupid, and went out there, and it just kind of took off. And people will buy in, obviously, especially they're going to buy in because, oh, my God, now we've tasted – Success. We're going to get to a bunch more here with Nicole and Pete. Um, the folks over at Untuck It. Always appreciate him for the sponsorship. Dads come in all shapes and sizes. Show, uh, show, uh, so should the shirts. Whether it is tall, short, slim, relaxed. Every Ever wonder why your father is buttoned up at the end of the day. is baggy, sweaty, whatever. It's hard for guys to pull off a uh, casual untucked look. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is a solution that fits just all and fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekends. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NFL to get 20% off. Father's Day is Sunday. Do something. Don't be the dope that is not prepared for dad on Father's Day. And as always, thanks, Untuck It, for their sponsorship of Locked on Browns. And you, you, that, that read like a blue chew read. Uh, or when too you many, too too many S's me. in that. Um, so, well, thanks for reminding me. I have to do something for Father's Day for the first. You're time giving. Uh, you're giving. Oh uh, no, no, no! It's not there yet. It's not there yet. I think uh, I have to because I got a Mother's Day gift. Oh, uh, now, now you do, yeah. <laughs> so. The, the Browns went from the fakest head coach in NFL history to maybe the most authentic. Uh, and I don't care what level you're playing at. Players figure out real quick if coaches are full of shit. And I think Freddie Kitchens is unbelievably comfortable in his own skin. And he's really, really intelligent and understated so understatedly that uh, if you like watch how he handles press conference and stuff, He's very good at taking conversations where he wants them to go without really making a point to do it. He's very, uh, you know, obviously he, he takes full advantage of his sort of Southern drawl and charm and those things, but he's very good at like moving conversations to places he wants to go or pivoting to the things and those, those type of things. And you've heard players basically, you know, you, you compare this to Hugh Jackson who, you know, obviously had the, 
among other ugly moments in hard knocks, that, that whole thing where he tells everybody he's the head coach, um, compare that to players saying that, you know, it, it doesn't feel like Freddie's the head coach. He's just the guy who's there and, and doing all these things to help us win, which I mean, I'm, I'm sure somebody could take issue with, but he's just that comfortable in his own skin that he can sort of go with the flow and just, you know, everybody feels comfortable around it. Everybody feels good around him as opposed to Hugh Jackson, where so many people just often felt like, I don't want to say in pins and needles, because I don't think it was like that, but just never felt like they were around somebody who was straight with them and, you know, thought they were dealing with a bullshit artist because they were. And, uh, you know, in a short term sort of rubber band way, I think going to Greg Williams and then going to Freddie Kitchens was a sigh of relief from that standpoint that they everybody could let let their collective breath out that they don't have to sit there dealing with fake guys. And, and, And Greg Williams, you have his flaws, but he's very maybe to a fault, honest. I mean, this is the guy who who told people at the famous Aurora Glazer Clinic, that they were taking Miles Garrett short of being in jail two months before the draft. Um, so I, I think that plays a big part in in having that and, and you know, having a, a a a situation where you don't have a bunch of head, a bunch of coaches and personnel people sort of working at their own agenda because they feel like they have to. You have to get to the point where everybody is bought in. And even if it's the simplest time, and I think there is the part of the rallying of, let's show everybody how crappy and bad this was. Um, we all know we can play the game. And it was almost kind of like the, you know, look, Freddie, we need a head coach. You're going to be the head coach. We want people to see what's going on here and that the talent is better. And, and that was even the thing, and you know, it was always the Carolina game for us where it's maybe this is the guy and just keep this going. And part of it was is there's no rush to bring in an outsider. And, you know, why should, should somebody else come in here and to maybe get to you know join the meal that they didn't put work into? Because six months ago, if the gig was open, no, no, I have no interest even interviewing for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, I, it, it's just too bad there. It's it's just too terrible, and nobody would want to step in after one and thirty-one. And so, why would you get to reap the war, the rewards now of what had been changed so quickly within a calendar year? Yeah. Do you guys think so? <clears throat> I get. And speaking of like the people that they were able to bring on, like. I get kind of the same like vibe I get from Freddie from Munkin. Um, very little BS, uh, you know, from him, and uh, it, and it's really enjoyable. Also, like very little ego there um, when it comes to you know who's going to call the offense or whose offense is it or stuff like that. Um, I don't feel like I have as good of a read on Steve Wilkes as as I do with Munkin. And I, I feel like he got screwed last year in Arizona simply because I watched way too many Browns head coaches get fired after one year knowing that giving someone one year is just a completely unrealistic – you can't put someone in that situation and expect success. 
realistically, especially when they're coming, they're walking in with a, you know, a tough roster and, and, you know, they're not walking into the perfect situation, but I don't know. I mean, do you guys feel as confident about, about Wilkes and the defense this year as you do? Freddie's been saying a lot that the defense needs more credit. Do you think you feel as confident about them? You can start yes. that one, Pete. <laughs> I know. I hit Pete ready to go. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I feel very good about Steve Wilkes, and there's a few reasons why. Um, uh, I like – look, everybody talks about how bad Arizona's defense was, and, and you look at what he did in Carolina and what he did in Arizona. In both situations, he did what was best for the defense based on what they had. So in Carolina, they had – those three linebackers. So they played a shit ton of those three linebackers as you would. And then they go to Arizona where they don't really have any linebackers. So he plays a bunch of DBs. Um, and then he comes here and his immediate move, which I, I, I absolutely love is going to a heavy two linebacker setup and saying, look, we're going to defend the pass and saying that, you know, I know John Dorsey says we're paying these guys to, the corners to cover and I get it, but Steve Wilkes makes the point because he's a coach and this is how coaches think, you know, my defense is going to be dependent on how my corners can tackle. These are things that I listen to and I like hearing from a guy like that. And I, you know, there, I know there's people who talk about, well, he does all this zone and all this other stuff. I, I am confident that Steve Wilkes is going to fit uh, the scheme to the talent and he's going to do things that make sense because that seems to be what everybody is doing. And, and I think when you, when, when Freddie kitchens took over, that is exactly what he did. And to the point where he went to the players and said, you know, what do you guys want to do? And then, you know, with, with the exceptions of the, you know, like the wishbone and some of those other things, so much of it was saying, what do we do? Well, let's do more of that. And what don't we do? Well, and let's not do that. And and then Todd Munkin sort of another extension of that. I think they're going to get even a step further in that. And I think the offseason is going to help from that standpoint. I think when Freddie Kitchens hires his defensive coordinator, he's basically saying, we're going to do what's the best. Do what is best for our team in terms of what do we have? If you have a bunch of you, – you, if we're really good at man coverage, run man coverage. If we're really good at zone coverage, run zone coverage. Mix it up. Do all those things. You have a we, we've given you a great defensive line. We're not going to waste a ton of time blitzing constantly because we don't have to. Um, and now a lot of this is you know projection and hope, I suppose. But I, I just get the sense that that they that everything about this team and the staff they've assembled is is the opposite of what Hugh Jackson was doing in terms of I have a system. I'm going to fit my players to my system, and if they can't do it, I'm going to get new ones. And these guys are all saying, this is what we have. Let's let's fit what they do. And, and I think that has been their entire mindset. And I, I, I think when push comes to shove, and I don't think it's going to take that long, that Freddie Kitchens isn't stupid. He's going to look at the defense. And if he's Steve, Steve Wilkes doing things he doesn't like, he's basically going to say, look, we have this, this, and this. Do this. I'm the head coach. Do it. And that's going to be the end of it. It may be more of a conversation than that, but ultimately he's the head coach and he gets, he's going to get the final say because all these people are like, and, and we dealt with this mess with Hugh Jackson is like, well, it was, it was Todd Haley's offense. Bullshit. You're either the head coach or you aren't, uh, you know, it's Greg Williams defense. Bullshit. Be the head coach. And, and I don't think Freddie's going to shy away from that. And I think that's important to the whole, this whole, uh, this whole equation. 
And for me, um, it, and with with Steve Wilkes and and Nicole is one hundred percent right. You cannot just give a guy uh, a one year you know rookie head coach debut. I mean, they did the same thing to Josh Rosen that they did to Wilkes. And if you don't know what the hell you're doing, then just take some garden variety you know guy who's been in the league for thirty years and say you're our head coach this year because we have no idea where we are as a franchise. It, it may only be one year, but for Wilkes. And Monken, their goal here this year is to not be here next year, to get that gig. Um, Monken, probably a little bit closer you know, to getting that first gig as opposed to Wilkes getting that second gig. But Wilkes is going to need to show adaptation. And obviously, wherever he's going to go, it's mostly going to be to a team who has most of their offense set up. So he's going to have to learn and show that, it, it, look, I, I can coach defense just tell me what you got, and this is what we're going to do. I have a really, really extremely strong pass rush in Cleveland. Um, I have corners who can tight and get in people's asses and cover them everywhere they go. Um, obviously, you know you lost a player like Peppers, who would have been a nice piece, but you make do after that. Um, so, But I, I, I agree. I think Wilkes is just going to hit the ground running because there's a lot more teeth to this defense, and especially from what he had from Arizona, which is a tough. You put him in that position where this is what he was to this point. You put him there in Arizona where his bread and butter was not there. So now he's kind of have to learn to adapt on the fly. Their offense was really nothing at the point. Um, so you know, the goal for Wilkes and Monken is to come in here and be aggressive and be good because their goal is to not be a part of the Browns coaching staff in 2020. So there is that. Uh, it's it, And the coaches have the way it came together, and obviously with the offensive line coach, and you, and you brought in Stump Mitchell, and you were able to keep, you know, um, you were able to keep some key pieces, and obviously Henry, which is going to help you at the wide receiver position. You Not only does Jarvis know, but Odell. And with these two in sync with Henry, it helps you develop players further like Higgins, like Callaway, and whoever turns out to be the fifth and sixth wide receivers, where it's like come to these wide receiver meetings and just shut up and leave. Listen, because you're going to get a ton of experience from guys who have been there, done it successfully, and for a guy who helped them get to where they could be in the position where they've done it and be very successful. Uh, we got a bunch of listener questions. I guess we'll start off with a fun one here from Jared Mueller. Um, <laughs> Pete, I don't think any of us, and Nicole, maybe we'll start with you here. In my honest opinion, I don't know if that's a phrase any of us have ever used, Pete. Nicole, maybe you? Uh, I don't say in my humble opinion because humble, it yes. implies humility in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if you and, said and I'm gonna, it. I'm going to assume that Pete has the same answer because he he should. <laughs> right. I mean, well, part of it is, you know, if you're talking like, you know, you're out of your depth and you're talking about something you don't uh, know about, like if, you know, Jeff asked me about, you know, the complexities of, of giving uh, the Kurds their own nation state in the Middle East, I might throw out in my humble opinion. But if you're asking me about the subject matter in which we discuss and cover, no one's tuning in for in my humble opinion. Uh, you know, that, that comes down to what are you tuning in for? And uh, there, how many four-letter networks and, and news networks are built on the idea of just put a couple of people together and have them yell at He's humbling anything. That's not what people want to listen to. They want, you know, something they can grab onto, disagree with or whatever. And, you know, the consume as they will. 
And that's sort of how it goes. How many people are listening to the In My Humble Opinion podcast where somebody is wishy-washy on every single thing they talk about? It's, you know, it's there's a difference between having sort of a, a, you know, a journey of curiosity to sort of explore something and saying, I don't know the answer and maybe, you know, these things could happen. But if you're asking, if I ask you an opinion on something that you know about, it's, I I don't want your humble opinion. I want what you think. Uh, And that's, you know, in the jobs that we do outside of this, nobody wants our humble opinion. They want an analysis or they want what you think. That's, why, why would you do it any differently here? No, I, I, um, look, and it, with the amount of time, and, and for you know, obviously, you know, Pete, where you're at your age, and me, uh, you look, I, I, football's been a part of my life since I was eight years old. So we're talking like, what, 37 years old. I'm going to give you what I think, and you know, a lot, you know, sometimes where people come in, and, well, no, that's not what that person really meant. Well, no, well, you know, you go by the words that you're given, unless you have confirmation differently. Um, in my humble opinion, no, I mean, you know, and my wife even, like, because we've actually had this conversation, and my wife actually jokes, she's like, no, you don't ask Jeff that question, you ask Jeff in his asshole opinion, because I am brutally honest to a point, that's what happens, <laughs> that's what happens when you grow up with five siblings, and that's what happens when you play, you know, baseball, basketball, football year-round, and, and even, you know, the kids that I coach, and, you know, and, and my parents even know, um, you know, if it's halftime of a game, Girls, grab your waters. Go to the end of the. Go to the back hole. The parents know. I'm going to go tell them. And it's look, look. We're playing like dog crap, right? Dog crap right now. Don't complain about calls. Don't complain about this. Don't complain about. You're not playing to the level of your ability. And I am. I am brutally honest to a point. And yes, I. I you know, as everybody knows, I have two daughters. I. You know, and my wife. And it gets me into a lot of hot water. I get it. But you know, and it, the other one is is. When I say, if I give an answer to a question, that is the, that is, it's factual, I remember it, that is the answer. If I tell you I don't know, that means I don't know. So then when they come back, and like, well, I don't think you're right. I told you the answer. So don't tell me I'm not right, because if you ask me something and I gave you a definitive answer, that is the answer. Otherwise, if I told you I don't know, that is exactly what I mean. I don't know. And so, hey, let me... It is what it is. I think that's why, Pete, I think that's why they like us because we don't shoot from the hip. There is no doubt about that. I mean, I, I, mean, I, hope, I hope people listen because they like us. I have a feeling that some don't, uh, and they listen because of that. But that's fine uh, as long as they keep listening. But, you know, it's, it's it, nobody, again, nobody's tuning in for humble opinions. They want to know what you think. They want to know what you have to say about stuff. And, and that would be the advice I'd give anyone, but especially uh, a woman trying to do this, especially with football, because they get enough shit about, well, you didn't play or whatever. Right. The last thing they'd want to do is sort of seed that territory and go, well, in my humble opinion, oh, you're here because you're, you're smart. You have something to bring to the table. And we want to know what you think. Like, that would be the absolute opposite of what you should do. And, and that's why, you know, uh, when we talked about this and, and, and going back to the AAF and, like, some of the coverage they did, they brought in a lot of women. And, like, like you know, for what all the things that were did not go well for it, one of the things that went really well for the AAF was – I'm going to butcher her last name. But I'm, Cynthia Froyland or Freeland uh, was a star on their coverage because she just brought it. And 
I, I you know, I, I'm curious to see where her career goes after all that, uh, because she's great. She's really good at numbers and stuff. Uh, she does. She like she did an analytics article today uh and she's not afraid and that's why i think she's ultimately a really kick-ass analyst and nobody thinks well she's a kick-ass analyst for a woman she's a kick-ass analyst because she's great and that's how it should be well and that that goes to what we say though i mean and it's 2019 if and and this is always pete and i's biggest issue with the media here is everything is at your disposal so you don't have to have anybody to do your homework for you. They're all 22. You know, the analytics side, which comes from a bunch of these fantasy guys, and a lot of it is really solid information. There is so much ways to improve your craft, but yet so many choose not to do it, which is it's just, it's just sad. Um, let's sneak this one here before we get to a couple more. Um, is it really an issue... Um, and I'll go to the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl that was played here at MetLife. The World Cup is the biggest stage of women's soccer. So who the hell cares that the U.S. won 13 nothing? I mean, what were they supposed to... I mean, you don't... It's... It is the highest point of one level. Maybe, for me, and I guess I'll take it to you, Nicole, maybe the bigger question is, how did Thailand get here? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to the question of how did Thailand get here is you have a very limited number of uh, women's soccer teams around the world that are adequately funded, right? Like, as much as we could go off down the rabbit hole of the women's uh, national team in the United States, you know, deserving more pay, um, you know, comparably like they do get paid significantly better than, you know, the teams in other countries. A lot of players for other women's teams in other countries have other full-time jobs and they play for their team's national team, you know, their country's national team. So what you end up with is, you know, you have maybe 10, maybe 15 teams in, in women's national soccer that are really good and adequately funded and really competitive. And then you have everybody else and they just don't have the time to practice and the funding to compete at the same level. And so you end up with teams like Thailand that just, you know, they just, they can't hang with us or with Sweden or, you know, those better funded, more established teams. Um, but you know, that said, I, you know, I obviously completely agree with you, Jeff, you know, you look at that Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, Seahawks win 43 to eight. And I, I mean, I don't have the coverage in front of me, but I'm willing to bet that every single time the Seahawks scored, somebody on the Seahawks celebrated that score. <laughs> and I, I, like, I feel pretty confident about that. And I got to tell you, as an Ohio State Buckeyes fan, I have watched the Buckeyes, especially in early season play, just obliterate tiny schools by, you know, 60, 70 points. And I haven't heard any Buckeyes fans in any bars stop cheering as the Buckeyes ran up the score because we all know that if they don't run up the score like that, when it comes time for conversations about college playoffs it's well they didn't beat that little team by enough points and it's the same thing when you get to the world cup 
score differential in group play is what gets you out of group play, which means you have to run up the score. And then you look at the players who are celebrating. You had three women who are scoring their first goals in World Cup play ever. This is something when you're, you know, you're eight years old and you're running around on a soccer field with the ball and you're kicking it into the empty net and you're imagining doing it at the World Cup and they lived their dream, I'm not going to get mad at them because that was the most incredibly exciting moment in their life. It was their dreams coming true and they were happy and excited about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to, to the conversation, but in the end, you know, maybe it is the Buckeyes fan in me (laughs) (laughs) and maybe that's obnoxious, but I cheered every damn time they scored yesterday. And I got to say, one of my biggest cheers, in fact, I had to, like, look outside my office to make sure that nobody heard me, um, was that last goal because I knew Carly Lloyd was was continuing a streak of, of goals in five consecutive World Cup games, and that's something to be excited about, too. So, yeah, I mean, I was... I was as excited for every single one of those goals as I've been for every single Buckeyes touchdown, as I will always be every single time uh, one of my teams that I root for scores, and I wouldn't expect the players to respond any differently. Um, there's there's a lot to this. First, uh, beyond the whole four years thing that's covered, um, you can't take out more than three people. So it's not like they can roll out all their backups like Ohio State or those teams can. Third and, and fourth strings, exactly. And, and if they're still scoring points, you know, the, the, you know, when you're third and fourth string, like, you know, they're getting experience and whatever. So you're, you're basically saying at that point that, you know, these women should basically just kick the ball around uh, and wait for the clock to end. And nobody start wants taking to taking players off the field. It's ridiculous. Right. So that's part of it. Um I really like women's soccer because they are way, way, way like a hundred times tougher than the men. There's it's no the flopping. Play- yeah, there's no, no, not only that, they, they, it's a blood sport. They are mean. Um, it's, it's the closest thing to, you know, you know, true, you know, women's football, I suppose, because they are the best athletes in the world and they are all tough as hell. And they, you know, instead of like, going down and, and grabbing onto something, they get up and they go look, you know, they look, go look to hit the other person back. Like it's pretty amazing to me how mean they are. Um, and, and it's entertaining from that standpoint. Um, <laughs> they, uh, but not only that, but the only reason we're talking about this and, and I don't mean us, I mean, you know, people in general is because this happened. Like if the U S goes out there and wins five, nothing or whatever, it's, you know, the U.S. did what they were supposed to do, move on to the next one. Nobody's talking about it. They're talking about it because the U.S., you know, had their greatest scoring output ever with 13 goals, and they celebrated. And that's important that we are paying attention to them. Similarly, the last time we really paid attention to them was when they took a knee, which, again, was great and, to me, uh, was great and you know, a lot of this is getting them getting attention for the right reasons. And part of this celebrating is because they aren't getting paid nearly as much as they should. And even though they are, you know, one of the better paid teams, I mean, you've got 
the biggest star in the world, who I believe is from Norway, who's not playing at all as a criticism or as a, a uh, protest and a criticism of the way women are paid, the work, the conditions of the, you know, it's in, I think it's in Mexico this year, uh, criticism over that. And as a way to sort of draw attention to this, the fact that they, they do, some of these people do have to do full-time something else to support their ability just to be in here and they're not funded. But I mean, the United States women are the best in the world at something they do. And they, you know, the United States celebrated when they beat the shit out of Angola when they were the dream team. Um, yep. And they, hall, you know, everybody was a Hall of Famer and, and it's Angola. Um, I have no issue with, I mean, if you want to complain about anything, it's not that they scored. It's how much they celebrated after they scored. Even that seems, I could care less uh, because that's, that's the closest thing that they're, that's, you know, if they don't get paid enough and, and, and they're, and everything is on the pressure for them, if they do anything short of win this thing, it's a failure. That's how, you know, the level they're at yep. and uh, those type of things. So I'm all for it. I think it's, uh, great that they want to do this. I think it's great that they want to, you know, they are uh, trying as hard as they can to sort of, you know, some of this is probably challenging themselves to be the best U.S. Uh, women's soccer team ever, but, you know, and it will never happen. But if the men went out and scored 13 goals in a game uh, in, in the World Cup, people would be doing, would tell them to celebrate more. Um, and there is a there is a little bit of a sexist connotation with this, unfortunately, because there always is. But I, I, you know, I, I think it, it's much much ado about nothing. And I hope they go and score thirteen against. Uh, uh, they playing uh, who the, either Portugal or somebody like that. The thirty fourth ranked team. Yes. Uh, the thirty fourth ranked team and uh, or thirty ninth or something like that and. Uh, Taiwan was 34th. So they're going to find a worse team, at least from a ranking standpoint. So I hope they continue to beat the shit out of everybody. Uh, I agree with, um, I, I agree with your point on the dream team. It was like, well, oh, wait a minute, you know, you other countries are going to have your pros play. All right. So we'll do that too then. And, you know, and we'll go this route and yes, we'll beat everybody by 50 points. And I agree with Nicole where if it was, if the U S won five, nothing, and called off the dogs, everybody would be like, well, they only won 5 nothing." So there's no common ground here. So uh, that's not fair. That just, it, it's, and especially when, it, look, you're talking about, you know, countries competing in the world's largest stage, in the largest, you know, venue for what is for women's soccer. It just just let it be. They, yes, they, the U.S. is really good. Obviously, Thailand isn't. It is what it is, and you know. And, and if, as far as the celebrating, look, we know what's going on there. These women are trying to market themselves to get themselves some extra money. It's there's nothing wrong with that because in Miles Garrett was in Miles Garrett, who is as keen to everything that's going on in the world, equal pay for play, puts out a tweet like that, and and good and good for him, and it and the product within itself. Um, let me just get to one more ad here. We have a couple more fun questions to get to. Um, Grip Six Belts. Always appreciate the folks over at Grip Six for their sponsorship of Lockdown Browns. Uh, the goal at Grip Six is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip Six is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas. 
uh, remember what I told you about Sunday, and moms, wives, aunts, uh, they do have a women's collection, ultra lightweight with no holes, so uh, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying seamlessly and effortly against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip 6 is the only belt with no holes, again, no flaps, again, and no bulk. Grip 6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. Thank you for the sponsorship of Locked on Browns. MK on Sports with a good pierogi question. Um, not Ohio, Ohioan, but with my mother being, um, you know, obviously with Hungarian and a whole bunch of Polish mess, uh, Polish mess, uh, they just, my parents just did the Ancestry.com. Thanks, Pop, for confirming the 93% Irish. Yeah, we already knew about that. But, uh, my mother with the mix, uh, you know, from Central. Uh, we'll start with Nicole. Pierogies, uh, what is the best one? Oh, I'm a pierogi purist, so I feel like this isn't going to go over, like, really good, and I feel like MK is going to be disappointed in me, but <laughs> I don't I don't want anything weird or extra in my pierogi. I just want the pierogi with the potato, and that's it, and then if you want stuff with it, you can, like, eat stuff on top of it, right? Like... You know, I've had it with, like, people have said braised beef. Yeah, great. You want to pull some braised beef and put it on top? Sounds great. You want some caramelized onions on top? Great. You just want to eat a plain pierogi with some sour cream, um, maybe some cabbage, maybe some kielbasa on the side. That was that was the German house that I grew up in. So I, uh, I'm i kind of a purist. I don't, I'm, I wish I could, like, I'm not a foodie about this. I'm not like, oh, I want the, like, coolest new like fusion pierogi from whatever restaurant like <laughs> i just want i just want my grandma's like purest pierogies with like maybe some sour cream and i'm good so i i, I, I give people more insight in how jacked up i am i'm weird about textures with food and i know i'm not alone on this i know yeah, you could stop that i'm weird but go ahead and finish true but <laughs> i know i'm not alone on this but there and there are other people like this. Uh, I'm weird about texture, so I really like onion as a flavor, but I do not like it as a texture. So, so I you're would, more of an onion powder as opposed to an actual onion guy. Well, or you can, you know, if you're, you know, you reduce it enough, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, but yeah, hundred percent. I really like the flavor. I don't like the texture. I don't like, you know, weird. I I, I don't like finding landmines in food, for example. Uh, you know. Brownies with nuts, not a fan. I'll just eat the brownie. Um, so that's more insight to my weirdness. So given the choices, I'll go with the cheese or, or stick with the original. I, I don't want uh, weird surprises in, in, in there. Uh, I'm more with Nicole. It's, you know, for me, it's just give me the generic pierogi. And for me, it's whether it's olive oil or butter and, you know, Pete, the onions minced to the finest proportion. Um, and Pete, if you need to, you can toss the onions afterwards and just get the combination of the sauce with it. But uh, yeah, pierogies were, and for me, it was always a huge staple because even though we barely went to church, apparently we always had to not eat meat on Friday, which was always a weird one. Oh no, we can't eat meat. Why? It's Lent. When's the last time anybody in this house went to a church or went to mass? But it, that was always so. It was either you know pierogies or you know fried fish, but. 
Yes, no, the the general basic pierogi, and I'm with Nicole. Like, you know, for me, that's with anything. I you know, I don't need the foodyish side uh, of anything. Just you know, like you know, and everything. Now we're you know, it's bacon in it, chocolate covered bacon. Well, why? Bacon's good. It's it's a good standalone. Okay, no, bacon is good, but chocolate covered bacon. All bacon is good, Jeff. This is yes. a separate argument. Good. You, if you want to take the floor on bacon, Nicole, you've got it. And this may be more of the, uh, you know, the little one speaking. I want my meat. No, I'm good. I just, I just don't disparage bacon and and continue. I just like food. I, I just like food the way I've always eaten it. And look, the, the, I, I start, I, I slowly matriculate and dabble. Nicole, I just went to iced coffee like a week and a half ago and realized how that how good that is. So I, I, I'm late to the game in a lot of things. Um, but we do, want to, we do want to get to this. Nicole, your whole life's about to change in six weeks. Um, obviously, you're about to bring another one into this world. Um, where are you at right now? Because, you know, I, I've been through this twice. Um, there's days where it's an emotional roller coaster. There's days where it's like, oh, I'm going to go rule this. I'm going to be the greatest mom ever. And it's, oh, my God. And then there's another day where, oh, my God, I'm about to be a mom. And, you know, how are you guys dealing with all this and handling everything? Yeah, I mean, it's very day by day. I think that's really accurate. And like you said, you know, because you guys have been through this twice. And, you know, I think every day I wake up with a different feeling. Like some mornings I wake up and I'm like, man, I can't believe we still have six whole more weeks. Like I really just want to meet this little person. I'm so excited. Um, and then other mornings I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, we only have six more weeks and I have so much to do. I just need you to like stay in there so I can get everything done. <laughs> so it's, just you know it's been very yep emotional roller coaster hormonal roller coaster is like a real thing um but I had my uh two baby showers the last two weekends and two getting the stuff has been uh good on multiple levels obviously it's really wonderful when your family and friends shower your baby with a bunch of uh, gifts, uh, but also it has helped me feel like we're a little bit more prepared because, like, I actually have clothes and diapers. <laughs> um, but uh, and then, of course, my family went so far out of their way to make sure that this child has so much Cleveland sports gear um, and nice. especially Browns gear. We have two Browns baby blankets. Um, we have more Browns onesies and t-shirts and like little teeny tiny Browns track suits. And I mean, just like so much Brown gear. My aunt actually got us a fat head Browns football field growth chart <laughs> to put on the wall. Um, so there's so much baby brown gear in this house right now. It is ridiculous, which you can imagine, um, the dude is slightly less excited about. So in the spirit of that, let's, let's break some news since we have you on the pod. Uh, and, and let's go ahead and let everybody know that you and the husband have decided to name the child after me. Um, <laughs> Well, I will, we, say, I will say, though, if it were to swing that way, and I don't want to reveal too much information, 
I think it would maybe be more Jeff than Pete, but here's the best part. Nicole, and I, I don't know how you guys are doing this. Are you still there to where you guys do not know what you're having? Yep, we decided oh my that we wanted God, to it seems so crazy to me. We wanted it to be a surprise. We felt like um, at our age, there just aren't that many good surprises. You know, like when you're little and your parents are like, we need to tell you something. It's like, we're taking you to Disney World or, <laughs> hey, honey, come, come look at this. And it's like, I got you a new bike. And like now when my mom calls and is like, I need to tell you something, it's like aunt so-and-so died. Or like, yep. honey, can you take a look at this? I got this cease and desist letter in the mail and I need my family <laughs> lawyer to like tell me. Like it's never, it's never happy. Um, and so we figured there's no way for this to be a bad surprise, right? Like whether they say it's a boy or they say it's a girl, like either way, it's going to be an amazing surprise. So we just decided since it's like the last happy surprise, we might as well go for it. So that is, that is what we're doing. Um, and so I will say we have, we have a girl's name picked out. Um, I'm not telling anyone, including my mother, what it is, um, much to her chagrin. <laughs> and we, we, have not 100% settled on our boy's name. Um, I will tell you that Jeff is right. Um, if it were going to be between Jeff and Pete, Jeff would definitely win because that is the dude's first name. Um, Sorry, Pete. But, <laughs> well, and also my grandfather's name is Peter, and I tried that one, and I got shut down real, real hard at the beginning. Um, apparently... Uh, the dude and his family had a very grouchy neighbor named Pete while he was growing up, and he has not. Pete, did you ever live in Did you ever live in Colorado, Pete? I did. I did for uh, in, in 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 a town that I, she's never heard of. Uh, well, this is good. Are you the grouchy neighbor? I can neither confirm or deny that it <laughs> wouldn't have been wouldn't have been that long ago. I was I, I was in there. I was out there for a year in a town called Parachute. Uh, which is about 5,000 people next to a town called Rifle, uh, named because uh, apparently when it was founded, somebody found a rifle by the river, uh, which is uh, about 40, 30, 40 minutes from Grand Junction, which is all the way on the other side of the state. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I stayed there for a year. I, uh, I pushed paper for the construction of a gas compressor station. Um, so, yeah. So he's safe. He was not. He was not the grouchy neighbor. Um, he's safe. Uh, but I. He brought up one of my favorite things about Colorado, which is that they really like naming towns after um, inanimate objects, like parachute and rifle and monument. It's one of my like favorite weird things about Colorado. Like if like somebody was just walking around looking at random objects and just started naming towns after them. True. And but the, the good news is Pete offers the versatility of being for a boy and a girl, so we're covered on both ends. <laughs> yes. But see, here's the thing, though, Pete, and you know, obviously, you know, for you, not really. These names now, it's you know, uh, my daughter Avery. We know like three or four Averys who are girls. We know like two or three Averys who are boys. It's like that's not even a thing anymore. So here's the best part, Nicole. If you show, you know, obviously, you know, some of your relatives and the baby's all bundled up, 
you can give them the name and they still will walk away and go, I don't know, is it a boy or a girl? So if yeah, you guys want to keep the mystery going, you can do that. <laughs> I'm apparently causing much distress among certain members of my family because they um, they don't know what to buy us. Um, but I was just trying to prevent the purchase of any infuriating, you know, smart like daddy onesies that that I, <laughs> I would have never <laughs> I would have never used. So. Um, not that he's not smart. He's smart. I just, you know, I'm smarter. Um, nice. That's all. So, um, no, but, yeah, I mean, it's. It, I'm just excited about the surprise, and obviously we're super excited about the baby, and it'll be fun and also exhausting, so I hear. Well, well, here's the best part, though, for you guys, though. I mean, because now the Browns are no longer playing at 1 o'clock all the time, and a lot of those games are prime time. And Denver will play at their, you know, 3 o'clock Colorado time, 4 o'clock. So, you know, he can put the baby to bed, and you can enjoy these primetime games for yourself. We actually have season tickets this year. Those were purchased prior to knowing about the baby. <laughs> they were a gift from my parents, and my parents did not know we were expecting. So, oh, oh. Hey, we Mom, we got to talk. We're we're currently trying to figure out how we're gonna balance uh, baby and brown games on Sunday, but I think we're gonna have to invest in some of those really cute little like giant noise canceling baby earmuffs head headphone things. Plus, I mean, he can sleep through Broncos games this year anyway. Well, obviously. <laughs> Um, we're getting close to the close here. Um, but Nicole, um, first things first, we want to wish you all the best, obviously. You know, a lot of this is, you know, tongue in cheek. I give you credit for it because for me, it was, I, you know, obviously with the older siblings I have, and I think at the time it was like between me and my wife, I think we were seven out of eight and it was all nephews and one niece. And we finally went and found the sex of the first one. And we were kind of like, and the thing is, I came from work, and my wife came with her mom. Huh? Really? Girl? Huh? Like, I had the room all set up, and I was like, all right, well, here's the room. This is what we're going to do or whatever. And I'll tell you what. I came home from work later that day, and my wife, she's like, so we're having a girl, yeah. And all of a sudden, here was the pinks, and da, 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 it was just like, all right, well, here we go. And it was just, wow, okay. But I give you guys credit for it because and, – and I do – now that you've explained a little further where this is probably the last biggest surprise of your guys' life, and I give you guys so much credit for that, and it's a fun way to do it. Me, no. Um, look, if you want to give me my presents on Christmas Eve, yes, I will take them, but you guys are going to basically go into it on Christmas Day, and that is it's cool, it's exciting, and it's got to be cool for you and Jeff. Sorry, Pete. The way it all goes down, and it, it, you know, obviously Pete and I, we wish you nothing but the best. It's a good name, Pete. Don't feel sad. I I, I don't. I I'm very excited for this child named Pete. <laughs> Pete uh, Peter does to, make like, for. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get Pete a consolation prize, Jeff. <laughs> Middle name, name or something of that, or something then, Petrina or something. Whatever. Even if it becomes a girl, something or you know, find some way to sneak it in there. Um, and as we always do on Lockdown Browns, Pete, is there anything we've missed? 
Um, I don't think so. I think we're I think we're square. Uh, I think we broke all the news we need to, unless Nicole's going to let us know about her upcoming podcast plans uh, that she's going to start once uh, once the uh, baby sorted out. No plans yet, but I appreciate uh, your continued support in that front. Although MK did throw out the uh, the idea of the Girl Gang podcast today, so uh, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, well, if it does happen, I, I can guarantee you two people who will do nothing but support it and push it. And um, and this is the one thing. And Pete, Pete and I, we we talked about this. What's up? They'll take us out pretty quick. We may not want to support them too much. Um, you want to know what though, Pete? They may not make us. They may make us the not most hated group because they they can come at it and they can come at it hard. So they'll be like, "Well, wow, Jeff and Peter kind of soft." I suppose, but uh, no, I, 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 as as much as I encourage it, I am also terrified of it. <laughs> Um, guys, this is where we're going to put it to a bed. Um, obviously, uh, Nicole here, uh, we, we thank you and we wish you nothing but the best. And, um, you know, and look, you know, for me now with the girls 12 and 11, whenever I hear of, you know, people that I talk to closely, whether they're starting this journey for the first time, like, I, I, I love it for you. And look, I am so much happier where I am now. Like I see people with babies and even it was like two weeks ago, somebody asked, can you, can you hold my baby? I literally, like, my head started turning, like, where's my where's my wife? Where's my... Because I am so far removed from it. But you guys are going to love every freaking second of it. And whether it's a boy, whether it's a girl, whatever, it's yours. It, it's it's something you guys created. And, you know, it's, you know, I get for Pete, I guess for you, it's Baker Mayfield. That's your baby. Correct? I have a lot of children on this team, and I wish them all well. Just as, uh, well, this is Nicole's second child. Uh, the first being Philip Lindsay. Ah, uh, my son. Wait until you guys get a load of my other son. LaVisca Chenault's going to have a big year this year, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, we can we can talk about how you came to that name, but yes, he's he's fantastic. I pronounce it because everybody else throws it out on Twitter, and I'm like, what in the world do those matriculate to? Uh, but yes. Good player, good player on tape. Um, for Pete Smith, check out everything over at Browns Maven. Follow him at underscore Pete Smith underscore um, Nicole. And obviously, you guys, again, we wish her nothing but the best at Browns underscore Babe. Uh, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB.